0: Old things, new things. And think about that for a moment. Let us read First John chapter two, verses one through 11. "My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which he heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, if you would, just turn over to the Gospel of John. Look at chapter 13. And we'll look at verse 34. Our Lord and Savior says here, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And thus far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word that it, not only is it heard by us, it's read, um, but also we know that by your Spirit did you work faith into our hearts. And none of us can say that we have enough. We desire more to understand correctly and to live rightly before you. And so therefore, God, we ask that you would come and meet with us now by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts the gospel and give us wisdom and understanding Doctrine and life for all of our life. Bless now the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Beloved, I asked the question, I asked you to please let it stir in your hearts, stir in your mind just for a moment while we read, because it comes up in the text. And that question was simply, when are old things, new things? When are those things that are old, when are they new? Well, think about it for a moment. I don't know if you like archaeology or not. My kids, I got them hooked on an archaeology show called um, Time Team. And they go over in the UK and they hear a rumor of something and they go in just for three days and they try to find what they can. So I've kind of uh, taken to some of it. Recently, there was a 3,000-year-old sword found in Germany. Did you see this? It's an amazing-looking sword. It looks like a piece of turquoise. It's bronze, though. But how do you take that thing that's old and make it new? Well, you have to get rid of some of the dirt and the junk and the garbage and the things that it's been sitting in, the stains and so on. It can may be made to look new, right? Right? So that old thing can be made to look new. So we have an analogy somewhat of what our text is getting at. But a better is from the word of God itself. Psalm 33 that we read for our call to worship says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Wow, it's a command there laid down for the people of God to sing. Not only sing, but sing a new song. Now think about that, what that means for a moment. Did that command mean that our, our pianists today who did a wonderful job were in violation of this commandment and so were we because it was not an altogether brand new, newly made, written song. Is that what it meant? No. And here's the principle then that we need to learn to understand 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. The principle is this. These songs become new in light of new mercies, things that we now understand. How many of you have read God's Word and said, I've read that before. How did I miss that? How did I not understand that there? I believe that's happened to all of us. Is that not new? Is that not new mercies, new understanding, new light that God has now worked in your heart? I believe that's what we're given here in the text. And I'll get to some of the language here in a moment to help you understand that this word new doesn't mean new, creation, out of nowhere, ex nihilo. It means new in quality and character. That's what we need to understand. So this is chiefly understood in light of new mercies. And chiefly and principally and exclusively understood as we come to Christ. Let's learn that then. You need to understand then how and why the old is new in light of the love of Christ. So the three points are the old, the new, and the true. So let's look at the first point here. Beloved in the Lord, why does the apostle say this commandment is not new, but old? Is he playing games with us? Scripture oftentimes speaks difficultly in certain places, but we need the rest of Scripture. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture. We need to say, if I don't understand it here, what does it mean here? That's why I mentioned Psalm 33 to help you see a new song is one that is new upon the new mercies of God in Christ that you might discover today or tomorrow or some other day. It's not a game being played. We are rational people. God created us with morality and spirituality, with the ability to think. And so he wants us to think about this intelligently. And that's according to the commandment of God anyway, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love God, not only affectionately and inwardly, but with your mind intelligently. So we are intelligent people, every single one of us, and we need to think about this then. So here we have a commandment. Scripture says this, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Not only does God want us to think intelligently, but he wants us to think this about ourselves according to his word. With Endearment. He doesn't say, "Uh, you nasty people, I write. He says, brethren, he addresses us with affection. So we think about this with his own affection poured out upon each one of us, but we also need to think about his word intelligently. The apostle says, this commandment is not new, but old. It's not new, It's old. It's an old commandment. It's old. It's old in comparison to what's going to be presented as new. It's old in quality and old in nature. Now, the next thing Scripture does is to provide some clarification to us. So the Scripture goes on to say, But an old commandment, which he had from the beginning. Okay, it's old. It's old In quality, it's old in nature. Have I ever heard this before? Yes, you had it from the beginning. The beginning of what? You see, the author said this same commandment is something that they already possessed. How did they possess it? Well, they had Scripture, at least then in the temple. They didn't have private copies yet, unless you were very rich. So they already possessed it. They already had a place for it. They already had ears for it when they came to worship. It has aged with them. They had a relationship to it already. It's something they already had. They had that sort of beginning. And Scripture goes on to say the old commandment is the word which he heard from the beginning. Oh, okay. Well, let's try to solve this word that we heard from the beginning? Where have we heard that they had this commandment from the beginning to love? For this, please open up in Leviticus. We'll look at two verses there. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapters 1 through 17 teach us how to approach God. And then chapters 19 to 27 teach us how to maintain that fellowship with God. <clears throat> as far as the Old Testament, which anticipated Christ. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and come up with the answer yourself. It says there in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So the commandment here, they had this commandment from the beginning, This is in the Word, and it is simply to love your neighbor. Oh, we need that today, don't we? We need that today when there's no desire for avenging, no grudges. That doesn't mean you can't protect yourself, someone climbing in your window in the home, and you're concerned about your family. That's different. But we ought to strive They had this commandment. This isn't something that the Apostle John, desiring as he's accused by many people, and Paul and the other rest of the apostles, to create their own religion, borrowing some things from the Jews, and then coming up with this idea. That's not what's going on here. He's telling them, this is the same. We had this. There's a place for it. It's in the early texts of the Bible. You know it. It's old, but it had a place. So they had the command to love their neighbor. They had the command to love the stranger. Look at verse 34 with me. Verse 34 says this. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. Verse 34, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. You ever heard of an alienologist? It's not someone who's on YouTube trying to discover UFOs. An alienist was the older word for someone who's a psychologist. Because people who had mental problems in the 19th century was thought were bizarre. Alien-like. So, an alien is someone very different. And yet, God says, albeit that person's different, but they're there, you treat them like family, like one born among you, and you love them. Are these new then? New in creation? Totally new? Never heard this before? What about the last one that I have as an example? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is very important because every young child in the Old Testament knew these words by heart. Verse 4, Shema Israel, and Onai and Hanu and Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's not to show off. That's just, that's what they knew. They all knew it. They knew that by heart. In fact, much, most of this. But then we get to verse 5, and it says this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And notice how that is personally tied. Not personally. Love the Lord, but with that possessive pronoun, thy God, thy Lord, he belongs to you, and so love him and do so. These are the commandments that they had of old. They were familiar with them already. This then is the old commandment, the word which they heard. So, the old commandment sat there, and waited in anticipation of the new to come, the one that would come, that would do just these things perfectly and entirely. Until then, whatever love people had for their neighbor, for their stranger, and for God, although they strove to do so, it yet fell short. Think about David and Jonathan, for example. They loved each other, in the right way, with pure, holy um, intentions toward each other, as men should today, in a holy and a pure way according to God's word. But did they fail? Well, sure, they did. Because even in their actions, they may have been pure and holy, yet by their conception being born in sin, they were yet guilty before God. But that example anticipated a greater to come. That old example anticipated the one who come who would love us perfectly as friends. The old taught us what to offer to God, what to do for our neighbor, and that we couldn't do it perfectly. Perfectly. And in order to get it right, the gospel must come. The gospel must affect us to become as we should And we can only become as we should be through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ perfectly loved the Father, as Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who loved the stranger perfectly. How many strangers in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, did our Lord Jesus Christ save and heal? Not only from their bodily afflictions, but their soul. And how many neighbors, people near to him, akin to him, did he also concern himself for, pray for? Quite a bit. It's a love that to me, this, I would, if I had nothing else to do for the next year or more, I would like to just get to the depths of this kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ had for the Father and for the stranger and for his neighbor. We need to consider ourselves in this mirror then of the law of God, to love God, neighbor, and stranger. We cannot. We're prone by nature to hate God. We're also prone by nature to hate our neighbor. Right? So pray to God to cause you, to cause us all, to betake to the mercies of God in Christ who shows us, how to love and what real love is. Permit us to love God as Christ loved the Father Himself. Affectionately, inwardly, spiritually, intelligently, with strength in the middle of the night, yet doing the will of the Father, saying it is His meat. It is a thing that He enjoys that He feasts on doing. And so think about that. Love God affectionately, intelligently, inwardly with all your strength and whatever energy you have. And let me give you a for instance. Oftentimes when I visit the nursing home, people sit there. I've heard people say, but I can't do that. But what can you do? What strength do you have left? That give to God and love Him. And grant us also the grace of the Holy Spirit to love each other. I love this word in our text. It's one word in Greek and it's found all over the book of Romans and first John, second and third John. And it's translated one another. There's a one man who wrote a dissertation on this. It's called one anothering. One anothering fellowshipping with one another, loving one another, respecting one another, building up one another, being affectionate toward one another. It's an important word. It's an important word for the building up of Christ's church. And so, love one another affectionately, spiritually, intelligently, with wisdom, and with whatever strength you have. Having briefly considered why this commandment is old, let's look at why it's new. Dear ones in Christ, beloved for his sake, why does the author repeat nearly the same thing in the next verse? The same thing with the exception of one word. No. Now, the words are in different order, but we practically have the same thing. Would you please hear God's word again? It says again, a new commandment I write unto you. Previously what was said, I write no new commandment. Now he writes a new commandment I write unto you. Why? Because he created us to think. He made us to be spiritual, to come to his word and think about it. Why did you do that, Lord? Why? What is the matter at hand? Again, Scripture says that this is not old, but new. The commandment is new. New in quality. It's new in quality because Jesus Christ, our Lord, gave it and fulfilled it entirely and perfectly. Excuse me. We read this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. There's that word again, one another." anothering. <coughs> we get this. This reminds me of the examples that we have of leaders. Leaders in the military, for example, effective leaders go before and in front and with their soldiers. The Lord Jesus Christ hasn't commanded us to do something that He did not do, but did it. New commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Has He loved us intensely? Has he loved us so that we would learn how to love one another? Absolutely. You see, there are two differences here. First, the word new in quality because Jesus Christ is the only perfect example. Second, it's new in character because we follow after him according to the new man. To show you the difference between the words, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, we have the word there for a new creature in Christ. Totally new. New in time. But in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24, we have the word that's in our text, a new man. New in character, new in quality. Not new, you're not newly made. New DNA, and so on. But you're new because of the new birth. Those are the two words, And so in our text, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, that kind of word that's being used, that we are created after God in Christ after His own image in righteousness and true holiness. We are new in that way. New character, new quality. Oh, thank you so much. <clears throat> So the anticipation is over. We had the old, and it remained old until it had an answer in Christ. Now that anticipation is over. You see, we may hate God and neighbor by nature, but now by grace, we are made to love God and our neighbor. That is no longer true of us. We may struggle. But it is no longer that practice. Our practice is to love God and as we struggle to do it. Don't forget that. Brothers and sisters, our calling is not so common, is it? Why? Because we're called to love. And the world has a doctrine of love. And love is whatever they say love is. And love can do whatever love wants. And that's not love. So we cannot continue to allow the world to set the definition of love for us. That definition is here in the text. In John chapter 13, again, let me just read that. This is where we get the definition of love. Our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I loved you. As means in this way. This is how, this is the manner, this is how you do it. As I loved you. And we cannot maintain that such love arises naturally, as people teach. It does not arise naturally. Do we not hate God in nature by by nature? We do. It does not arise. Nobody will love God first. God. Loved us first. And it was by the word of God that we were born again and then made able to love though we struggle. Our instruction here then is to love not as the world or by our own strength, but as I loved you. That's not me. That's Christ saying that. As I loved you. He spoke kindly to his people. He was concerned for his own. He instructed them. He counseled them. He warned them. And he prayed for believers. That's that's just a few words that I can say. There's so much more. Go read for yourself. Spend the afternoon and read one of the Gospels and see all the ways that Christ loved his people and how he loves you. But most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends as a ransom. That we cannot do. When he says, as I love you, that we can't do as a ransom. But our love must be for one another as much as possible, following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you need to speak kindly to? Who are you concerned for, for the sake of their soul salvation? Have you prayed? Have you instructed these covenant children? Have you thought back over your responsibility as a member of the church to pray for those? Who needs counsel? Let's love these people and follow Christ's example. But how else must we understand this new commandment? Beloved, for Christ's sake, how is this true? How is this commandment true? Scripture says there again, which thing is true in him and in you? Well, first, it's true in him. Now, to see this, we're going to skip to a couple verses here. Will you please turn to 1 John chapter 4. Let us read verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, herein His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> God has loved us, provided for us, not because we mustered some strength that arose from within to love Him, however so imperfect. And He said, I see that good behavior. I will save you. He saved us when we were not lovable at all and hated Him entirely. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Let's look at verse 28, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. This is our Lord Jesus Christ teaching here. He says, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to give his own life as a ransom, as a payment, as a debt. That would which would satisfy justice. Now, lest we're confused that we think that Jesus was some sort of lower creature. <laughs> Turn to first John chapter three, verse sixteen. First <clears throat> John chapter three verse sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Nothing less than God himself gave himself for us. Now turn to the last verse to show you this again. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28. I often use this as a test for a good Bible translation. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And it's unwarranted in some translations that insert the words the blood of his own son. That's not what it says at all. It takes away from well, we confess in the Nicene Creed, they got it right. Very God of very God, very man of very man. Very homo, very homo, very deus, very deus. Very God of very God. And so you see, it's true in him. All the way around. These are just a couple of verses. But second, this is true in you, insofar as you walk as he walked, and love as he loved. Our text begins to make a transition then. This is also true because Jesus has brought to us mercy and the way of peace. That's what was said during his birth announcement. This is also true because Jesus, our Lord, has turned us from Satan to God. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, our Lord is speaking here. And he says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He's turned us from that power. to God. And there's a further transition, and it's this. God has set this gospel before you. What God commanded from old is new in Christ because he gave it and fulfilled it. Jesus Christ has restored the love of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has restored love for your neighbor the Lord Jesus Christ has restored the way we should love those who are strangers among us. This should then be our thankful response. Has the Lord Jesus Christ restored the right use of love? I hope you're convinced of that. Then ask yourself a couple questions, please. Is the love of Christ part of my household or do I follow another example cross-examine your impulses. Do I make the love of Christ part of my constant attention to God and neighbor, or do I neglect God, my Savior and my neighbor? Let me shorten that up. Is the love of God given your constant attention? Why or why not? Please ask God how you can love your household thoroughly if you don't. Also, beg God to cause you to love him and others instinctively. Think about that. I know in my home, when a young person in my home accidentally bumps into another one, the instinctive impulse is, how dare you? Look at what they did. Mom, dad. May our instinctive response be something else than that, grounded in love. Allow the Holy Spirit to make love part of your inner life, the inner man, the first resurrection, the new birth, the birth from above, and live according to this new life. So again, go back to that question, beloved. When are old things new things? It's going to take a little bit more than knocking off the dirt and the stain to make us new, but He has. We are new in Christ. But even better is Christ. Christ made this commandment new by putting to death that old man and gave to us the new man. I love that book. Have you read it? By John Owen. The death of death and the death of Christ. I always mess around with the title and, to make the point. The death of death and the death of Christ. Putting to, putting to death death. You know, I always just add more to it because it's kind of a ridiculous title, but it makes a point. The death of death in the death of Christ. He killed it. He put it to death. Death's afraid of him. Deathly afraid of him. You see? We can't love our, let our love retreat. Have you seen the reverse flags that people have on the right shoulder only in the military? The stars in the front and the rest of it waving in the back. Do you know where that came from? It's an old army, cavalry symbol of courage and strength that does not retreat in battle. I thought about that in light of this sermon. I am not proposing that some new Christian group go out and make flags and do this. I'm just saying, as an illustration, our love ought not to retreat. If we could, we'd have a flag. <clears throat> love would be spelt backwards as it's waving in the wind. What does that mean? <clears throat> Again, the example is not us in what it might arise in whatever strength we have, but we have to acknowledge something. Christ is the one who was courageous in battle. He did not retreat. He never withdrew from the love of God and love for neighbor, and even the strangers that were there, like the Canaanite Syrophoenician woman, never did his love retreat, and it will not now. that's our example that we would go. We are on a battlefield, whether we want to admit it or not. Please do not let this new commandment, the love of God, retreat or withdraw in the least way at all. May God sustain us through Christ our Lord in this love. As he's commanded us. Amen. Amen. Let us pray to God. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you that these old things have been made new in Christ. The love of God to us has been restored and reforms us so that we might be as he is. Help us, O oh God, to love as he is set before us. Give us strength with courage and with concern, affection, and wisdom toward our fellow man that our love would not retreat or withdraw. Help us, O God, we ask in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.